0: Don't be like, oh, I spend the first two hours playing around on LinkedIn, doing that. No, that's marketing. That's not selling. Make sure if you're running a team that you know the difference between the two. Like I like to joke here, in our sales department is the only room in the building where the nails in the chair are pointing upwards. So that when they (laughs) sit down, the chairs are very uncomfortable, right? Because we need them in front of the customers.
1: Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us on Retain today is sales expert, Glenn Poulos. Glenn is the Vice President and Manager of Network Wireless Solutions, a telecom company that specializes in wired and wireless solutions. With over three decades of sales experience, Glenn has accumulated extensive knowledge in the field and used this knowledge to establish and grow successful companies. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Awesome. I am excited for our conversation today because... We actually, just to kind of give you some context on the show alone, we always talk about retention. We talk about different strategies and we touch on sales from time to time, but we don't really deep dive into it. So I'm definitely excited for our conversation today to learn all about the world of sales and see what you have to say from your awesome years of experience. So I am very excited about that, but let's kick it off. I would love to just find out more about your background and what got you into sales in the first place.
0: All right, sounds good. So I'm 61 and born in 1962, and I graduated college in 82. And I went to technical school for electronics. And I accepted a job with the government, believe it or not. As a civil servant, I was fixing electronic gizmos for the Canadian government, Environment Canada, and National Weather Service for the American listeners. And I was there for a few years. I got a chance to work up in the Arctic for a while, which I knew that definitely wasn't for me. Five people on a weather station for a year was quite a story, that's for sure. But anyways, I came out of the Arctic after a while, and I went and worked for them at head office in Downsview, Ontario, near Toronto. And my boss pulled me aside one day and he says, Glenn, you're in the wrong job. You should quit this job. You should go into sales or something like that. And I'm like, okay. And I was a young kid. I didn't think much of it, but I did listen to him. And I started flipping through the paper and I ended up getting a job working for a company as technical sales, and which is what I still do today. And yeah. I worked for them for about five years. And then I approached them about like an opportunity for them to sort of split their business. And I was going to turn 30 and I wanted to start my own company before the age of 30, right? It was 29 and a half. And, you know, this was a milestone for me. It's like, I got to have my own business by 30, right? And so... I came to them with this idea to split up one little piece of the technology that I thought was going to do well and they could keep the core business. And then I would let them own some and I would own some and I'd be an entrepreneur and everything would be perfect. And the president said, oh, Glenn, he says, you know, you can show me your plan, but I'm going to show you, it's probably not going to work. You're better just keeping your job. And so the next day I actually resigned. Instead of showing him my plan, I showed him my resignation letter. (laughs) And uh, the other funny part about it was in addition to being 29 and and a half. I'd also been married for six days at the time.
1: No and, way. Wow. <laughs> and
0: I forgot to check with my wife about before I quit <laughs> my job. Right. And oh, um, I said, don't worry on you though. It'll be fine. So I started my own business in sales. I based the company on this newfangled technology, which Of course, it never went anywhere, right? Like the president of the other company would said, it ended up being based on the cell phone, right? Now, we weren't selling cell phones. We were selling equipment into the cell phone industry, antennas and network equipment, things like that. And of course, we know where the cell phone went. And I grew that company for 15 years. I sold it. And there were some issues that happened with the sale of that business. I ended up actually starting a new business shortly after that. And I grew that for 15 years until February of 2022. And last year, I sold my company, Gap Wireless, to NWS, Network Wireless Solutions. And I stayed on with the private equity firm. And I'm going to work here for a few years. And I'm helping them to integrate the businesses together into one unified company. And so that's how I got here. Sort of three sales companies, two of which were my businesses. Two exits. One more successful than the other, frankly. But yeah, and lots of growth along the way. But primarily, our business is a sales company. And yeah. we take products from around the world. We visit our customers and we show them what's great about them and they buy them from us. And we're not really a manufacturer or something like that. Right. We're a distributor.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. That's how I got Exit under your belt in the span of yeah. 30 years. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. And so I know part of that, which obviously the listeners might see in one of our clip recordings, but. I can see in the back, there's that book cover that says, Never Sit in the Lobby. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm curious to know when you wrote that in terms of as part of this journey that you've been on, obviously. Sure. But what even just inspired you to write this book?
0: So back when I got my first job after the government, there were four guys that owned the business and they were really good salespeople and they just had so many techniques and just, they had these disciplines that they followed all the time. And I started to realize them and notice them and what have you. And then I started to end up writing them down. And then I started naming them after people. And then I start repeating them and I say, oh, that's, you're doing a Barry Watson. And they're like, what's a Barry Watson, right? And uh, then I would explain, oh, that's the technique I learned from Barry and where you do this and that. And People would laugh and they say, "Oh, that's brilliant!" And then a few guys, like other salespeople from other companies, said, "Hey, can you share some of that with our company at our sales meeting?" And so I started doing a little bit of talking back then, but I continued to write them down, write them down. And then, of course, people were like, "Oh, you should write a book," you know. And this was like a <laughs> long time ago. This was in like the eight, late '80s and early '90s, and of course, I never did, right? And, uh, but I kept writing them down in the same little notebook that I had. And when the pandemic hit, I thought. I really wanted to get the book done, right? Like I knew Mm -hmm. I had all these little rules that I'd created and it had been gnawing away at me here and there over the years. And I took a little stab at it probably 10 years ago, but I just couldn't get my sink on. So when the pandemic hit, and I mean, although I had to keep this office open for the customers, like we service the telecom, so we had to stay open. I mean, it was just me and the warehouse people. Everyone else had to go home. And of course, on the weekends and the evenings, you know, being Canadian, you know where we were all sitting, it was at home. And so I thought, hey, what better time to do it than now, right? And so I committed that I was going to get up every Saturday and Sunday morning and I was going to write until I had around 2,500 words every weekend until the book was done. And so, and as the joke goes, I said, I wrote until I got to 75,000 words. Then I sent it to an editor and the lady sent it back and she said, Glenn, you're not allowed to say the F word that many times in a book. And so I said, okay, <laughs> why why don't we agree on 71,000 words and the <laughs> book will be done, right? And yeah, so it took a few months, but I just committed to writing it. And I learned that on a podcast that I had listened to on how sure. to write a book. And it was the first podcast. And the guy said 500 words every morning before you do anything else. And I thought, well, I already have things I do on Monday to Friday. And I said, but on the weekends, I've got this slow swing time in the morning before anyone gets up. And yeah. I'll do all five times 500 Monday to Fridays on the weekend, right? I'll do the okay. 2500 and that I can commit to. And that's what I did. And it was incredible how fast it kind of goes once you get into it. And it was fun. And then there's a lot of resources for self published authors now to, an editor, copy editor, content editor, book cover designer, keyword editor, title—people to help you with suggest titles. So there's so many resources and how to format it for Amazon. And I recorded the audio book myself, and nice. um, that was fun too. <laughs> yeah. And so the funny thing was that the way the timing worked of selling the business and the book kind of delays in both of them—they were supposed to be several months apart. But the book actually came out the same week that I sold the company. And so,
1: wow.
0: yeah, So in a way, I mean, it was a little bit like anticlimactic in a way in the sense that I kind of like I was selling my business for a fair bit of money and uh, it was a pretty big deal. Right. And this is a big of company. Course. So they kind of had to have my attention. And so I was kind of distracted from the book launch. So it wasn't like I was able to like go all in. But I mean, it's all done virtually now anyways. It's all on Amazon. It's not like I was doing book tours or anything, right? Now it's it's mainly podcasts and Amazon SEO, you know, like search engine optimization. Yeah. But yeah, so it's coincidental. I sold the business in February 2022 and the book came out. That was a nice
1: week, I would say.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) That was a good week to have. I do like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's really interesting. And I guess, honestly, I commend you for the fact that you sat down every Saturday and Sunday morning to write that many words because... I feel like writing a book is such a big, like it seems like a lot to get done in one sense because how do you make sure that it flows? How do you make sure you get all that stuff?
0: And the other interesting part that I like to share as well was that when I was doing it, I get up really early and my mm. wife does not. <laughs> Let's just say that, right? And so I never even told her that I was writing a book, right? I never. And so. That's
1: awesome.
0: So I didn't tell her until like a few days before the book was coming out. I said, no oh, by way. the way. Yeah. And she's Surprise. like, what? Yeah. And so it was really funny. I just found it better to be that way because I don't like it when like, oh, I'm going to be writing a book. I'm going to be writing a book. And it just feels kind of like poser-ish, you know what I mean? Or what yeah, have you. So very, very. I prefer to like, say to myself, I'm going to do it, then tell everyone I did it, rather than say, I'm going to be doing it. And I kind of do that with a lot of things. I don't just tell my wife 30 years ago that I'm going to start, quit my job. And I just quit my job and go home and say, by the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And so with your book, I'm curious to know, because actually I'm curious about the title itself, but I'm curious, like, what's the one main thing that sets your book apart? Because even myself, I love reading sales books or sales and business strategy books, but it's very hard to choose which one do I go with, especially when you don't know what might be inside or obviously everyone's kind of talking about different topics and it's hard to choose. So if you had to almost even give yourself like an elevator pitch of what's the one main thing that stands out about your book or sets you apart from others, what would you say that's it?
0: Yeah, that's easy. What you get out of the book in a summary is you learn how to get, act and stay in front of your clients and be a pleasure to do business with always. That's the mantra of the book. And it's a two-part mantra, right? Get, act, and stay in front of the clients. Nice. And be a pleasure to do business with always. And that and each one of them are very important. I mean, getting and staying and acting in front of the customers, but also yeah. when you're there, you want to be a pleasure to do business with. And the other interesting thing about the book is it's not a system book like spin selling or challenger model where it's this like complicated process that you follow. You can flip to any point in the book and learn a rule. That I follow, right? And a lot of people say, Oh, I got to go see this customer, but I really don't know what to do. And I get there or why I'm going to see him or whatever. And I say, Oh, that's easy. Just show up with something in your hand and something in your mind, right? Which is one of the chapters. And it's just like a rule, right? It's like if you're going to go see a customer, you don't have to overthink it, but you always have something with you in your hand, whether it's literature or a quotation they ask for, or it might be swag, but always have something in your hand. And always have something in your mind or on your mind that you want to talk to them about. And by passing the thing over to them and then saying, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about X, Y, or Z, you can typically engage them in the conversation. The worst thing is to show up with nothing and nothing on your mind. I mean, that is a bad look.
1: That's a tough go. uh, Definitely a tough go.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so the book is designed, you can sort of flip it open and that's just one of the 57 tips, right? Where you can, you know, that you learn. And then you can put it down, you pick it up a few days later and flip to another chapter. And some of them are very short. Some of them are a little longer. Some of them have like stories. Most of the stories are like, kind of like mistakes that you don't want to repeat, but they're there for comedic value or shock value in some cases. (laughs) But yeah, so it's just a series of disciplines that you can follow that help to... Game the system a little bit to have a, yeah. an advantage over people that are not following a set of rules.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And something that you commented on was actually what I was going to bring up next to dive a little bit deeper into, which is that phrase that you coined, which was how to get, act, and stay in front of customers and be a pleasure to do business with always. So let's break that down. There's a lot in there. And so right. I'm curious to kind of break that down, learn more sure. about the different pieces of that because you have how to get them, how to act, how to stay in front and then be a pleasure to do business with. So I guess starting out under that topic, what kind of strategies or approaches do you recommend for companies to get in front of potential customers? What are some things that you recommend there?
0: Yeah. And again, there's all sorts of tips in the book about, you know, whether you're phoning them, emailing them or what have you. Right. And of course, nowadays, you're not really like cold calling in the sense of like knocking (laughs) on the doors, although sometimes you can and do that, can't do that. But I mean, nowadays, especially after the pandemic, that's kind of hard to do. And I've always sold high ticket items, but there's sort of that like first time you're getting in front of a customer, which is how do I get in front of that? But then there's the one where a lot of times Salespeople have a book of territory that they're dealing with, 50 clients, 100 clients. And in some cases, they're supposed to be visiting these customers on a regular basis. And so a lot of my tips are more for the person that are trying to get back in front. Like, how do you continually get in front of that customer? And so I have all sorts of little tricks that I do where, for instance, if I'm there visiting one customer... There's another one I might want to talk to. I'll ask him to drop me by his desk on the way by so I can drop off the literature I have in my hand and in my mind, right, to that guy before we leave or whatever. And then when I go and see them, what I'll do is I'll make an appointment and then I'll just say, hey, you know what? I'm actually, here's the literature. I wanted to drop this off, but I'm back next week seeing Sally. Could I get 15 minutes on your calendar next week when I'm here? to talk to you about selling stuff. And usually they say, yes. I mean, I'm in the kind of business selling, the kind of things these people engage with vendors on a right. regular basis, right? And so they'll usually say yes. So now I know next Thursday, I have a 15 minute set aside for this guy, but then I can then call other people like Sally or Jack or whatever. And I say, hey, I'm visiting Bob next Thursday at 10 for 15 or 20 minutes while I'm there. Keep that momentum going. Could I get some time with you or whatever? Oh, I'm really busy. I'm like, okay, well, could you pop down to the lobby and see me for a minute? Okay, but I can only see in the lobby. And so then I know that I've got the one guy for 15 minutes, <laughs> then maybe I can get my way over to him through the building, or I will go back to the lobby and say, hey, you said, you know, touch base with you. And the odd time they might say, oh, it's I'm really busy. I can't come down. But obviously, most of the time they come down. Yeah, And so now I've gotten, I've engaged with it and all the while I'm looking for the next engagement with each customer and booking it out. Right. There's a right. long story about going to Winnipeg where I got all, used to get all the business in Winnipeg and my competitors never realized how I did it. And I mean, you're Canadian, so you know what Winterpeg yeah. is like, right? Yes, and it's I do. famous <laughs> uh, in Canada. <laughs> it's unpleasant weather, right? And um, I even talk about my car freezing there. I had to get a new rental car because I didn't plug in my car. I'm like, what do you mean plug in my car? (laughs) And this wasn't a Tesla. This was like (laughs) 25 years ago, right? But I went every six to eight weeks, I would go to Winnipeg bar none. Like I just for sure, it was always dialed into my calendar. So I would show up and I would do these prospecting calls. Hey, I'm coming to Winnipeg. Can I come by? I have something in my hand. I have something in my mind to talk to you about. I would do that. And then they would say, oh, I'm kind of interested in X, Y, or Z, or Bob in the building's interested in this. And oh, could you run me by his desk? Yes. Okay. Hey, by the way, I'm back in eight weeks. Could I bring the unit with me and I can show it to you? And they're yeah. like, yeah, sure. Well, you're back in eight weeks. Wow. Nobody ever comes to see us in Winnipeg, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm here every six to eight weeks. Like, wow. Okay. And then all the visits that I'm at, I'm booking the next ones and the next ones and the next ones. So by the time I leave Winnipeg, I already have my next eight weeks pretty much filled up and I just leave the slack time for following up or potential new things that might crop up while I'm in town for one or two days, right? So that's how I get there. And it's also sort of how I stay there, right? Because I'm constantly engaging. The mistake that people make, and this comes up in when I talk to people about this a lot, and this is a good time to tell you the story where the guy will go once or something or he'll get one sort of kick at the can with a customer. And then I'll say to the follow-up with the sales guy, I'll say, oh, dude, what's going on with that Rockwell deal you were doing? Oh, yeah, 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 they're interested. I'm like, oh, what happened? He goes, oh, well, yeah, they wanted a quote. I'm like, oh, okay. And of course, one of my rules is never fax the facts and never ship the shit. You always drop it off, right? I'm saying, oh, well, did you drop it off? And they're like, well, no, I emailed it. And I'm like, oh, you emailed the quote? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, did they get back? Did they reply? And they're like, no, they haven't replied yet. And and I'm like, well, did you follow up? And they're like, well, yeah, I called them. And I'm like, well, what did they say? They go, wow, they didn't answer. I left a voicemail. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, they didn't call you back? And he's like, well, no. And I said, okay, let me get this right. They want to buy a $100,000 instrument from you. You emailed the quote which they didn't reply. Then you phoned and left a voicemail, which they haven't phoned you back. I said, so where do you feel you are in the competitive landscape of getting this guy's business? And you see, what I would be doing is I would hand deliver the quote. If the guy would say, can you send me a quote? then I would say, sure, no problem. Most people think I'm going to email it or in the old days, you would mail it or in the middle, you would fax it, right? That's where I came up with that funny saying, don't fax the facts," right? So a lot of times I would either call or a day or so later, I would just show up in the lobby and I would call Bob from the lobby or get the lady to call or something and say, hey, I'm in the lobby. And he's like, why? And he goes, well, you asked for a quote. He's like, yeah, okay, I have your quote. I come and get it. He's like, oh, I didn't expect you to drop it off. Or I'll say on the phone, I'll bring you the quote. I'm going to be there in two days. Can I drop it off? Oh, I'm really busy. I'll just, how about I just drop it in the lobby? They're like, okay. And then the two days later go by and I phone him from the lobby. He forgot that he told me he was too busy. <laughs> and so he agrees to come down, right? I give him the quote and uh, something in my mind. What do you think of the quote? How does it look? And then my next rule is, again, how do I act in front of the customer? I always yeah. ask them for a mini tour. And he's like, well, a mini tour, what's a mini tour? And I said, a mini tour is a tour that's mini. It's like not a tour. A tour takes all day.
1: Dem- yeah, they're not committing like, to anything here. It's they're not just committing to anything. And, and
0: they're like, oh, a tour. And I'm like, yeah. I said, dad, you know, just pop me around your new lab, your new office, your new warehouse, your new factory, your new this, your new that, whatever. Whatever reason I'm there for, I try to get past the door because again, we're selling things to these customers, right? So the chances okay. are they own things from our competitors. If I've never been there, I don't know. Like, you know, I probably Everyone. know whether he does or doesn't have my stuff. But maybe there's brand A, brand B, brand C. I walk into the lab, and all of a sudden, there's 25 instruments from this other brand. And I'm quoting. I'm thinking, geez, I don't think this guy's buying my product. He probably yeah, just yeah. wants a competitive quote. And so that's one of the rules so always. And maybe I drop the quote off. Maybe he asks for a demo. Then again, he'll say, just ship me a demo or whatever. And I'll say. Oh, no, I mean, our policy is we have to drop it off and set it up, right? Because of the liability and what have you. So I'm back here next Wednesday. Can I get a few minutes? We'll set it up, make sure everything's good. Okay, fine. And then I'll get there. And then he'll say, I need it for two weeks. I said, oh, no, we can't do two weeks. And he's like, why not? I said, oh, this unit's far too busy. I said, we can do three or four days max. I said, you know, it's Wednesday. I'm coming to see Sally on Tuesday. Can I pick it up Tuesday? Oh, okay. Okay. And I'll even try, depending upon the value, to even go in the middle to see if they're even using it, because most of the time they just look at it for a few hour, an hour here or there, and right. they're comparing it. They don't actually like turn it on and run it for two weeks straight.
1: Which also and, you're so you're a wasting
0: you're wasting the valuable equipment that your company's invested in to show customers where it could be somewhere else, right? Yeah. So that's like how I get act and stay in front of the customers, and sort of the acting part is all about my rapport building that i do and so there's chapters in there like one i called uh, implied familiarity also breeds contempt right and so i don't know if you've ever heard the saying familiarity breeds contempt
1: but I'm it means when actually. you're
0: like you become hyper familiar with someone then it kind of like just ticks you off So imagine you kind of get stuck with someone to go away on a trip or whatever, right? And you're kind of like glued to them for a week, maybe on a business trip or training or whatever. And you're ambivalent about the person going into it. By the end of it, you can't stand them, right? Because (laughs) they're always clicking their gums and they make funny noises and whatever. Like People have these weird, quirky things. And if you get too familiarized and too compressed with some person, you get contemptuous about it, right? And so, yeah, there's that saying, but I made up a new one called implied familiarity, meaning when you imply that you're familiar with me, that makes me upset. So the example I give in the book where I went into a customer and there was a picture of him fishing behind his desk, like up on the top of the thing, like behind right. me, right? I'm, and I had some cockamamie line where I'm like, oh, I didn't realize you were a fisherman and I love fishing. We should go fishing sometime or something like that, right? And the guy looked over oh, no. his shoulder and he says, Oh my God. He says, I forgot that photo was there. He goes, that's my ex father-in-law. I've divorced from my wife and I never liked that guy. I only ever went fishing with him to please my wife and I'm not even married to her anymore. He grabs the photo, throws it in the garbage, right? And now all of a sudden, I just pissed this guy off, pretending, and I don't even fish, right? And I'm just, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's just complete bogusness and it's not genuine, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And- the better thing to do would be to say, Oh, who's that in the fishing photo behind you? And then give him a chance to you know, explain uh, that story explain before. himself before I offer him to go on a fishing trip, right?
1: I surely and, wasn't expecting that to be his ex-father-in-law. That's a tough yeah
0: <laughs> and Another really powerful rule for your audience is what I call never forget a face, which is very difficult. And so when I get to a customer, of course, the name of the book is never sit in the lobby, right? So, right. Just quickly, I'll explain. Never sit in the lobby means when you get to the lobby, do not sit down. So when you get there, either there'll be a reception person of some sort or a phone, right? Mm -hmm. Once you announce yourself, and of course, if it's a person, often they'll say to you, is he expecting you? They always have that tone, right? Is he expecting you? And like I said, from the other story, I go, yeah, he asked me for a quote. He's not actually really expecting <laughs> me, but
1: he did ask me for a quote. Well, he was expecting a quote, and he was expecting he were a there quote, with right? said quote.
0: <laughs> and so then the lady will call up and say, "Blends here," and she's like, "Oh, what for?" And he's, "Oh, he's got a quote for you." And he's like, "Oh, right, I forgot to ask for that quote. Tell him I'll be right down." Then I don't sit down. I stand up in the lobby and I don't pull out my phone and I don't go Mm. scan the awards on the wall of the business and read their literature. And I'm waiting at the door for the person to walk in because when you're sitting down one, you're distracted. You might not even notice them walk in and they walk in and you're like this sitting down and maybe some six foot four tall guy comes in and you're looking up at this huge guy above you on your phone. And he's like, are you Glenn? (laughs) You know, and then you have to like rise up to this guy, right? And I'm not very tall, so I like to start at my best height, go.
1: That's a great way to go.
0: And be on attention, shake their hand and always ask for a mini tour, right? And like I said, so that's what I mean by never sit in the lobby, but the never forget a face. So oftentimes it'll be 10 minutes early, so I don't have to stand for 10 minutes. In the car, I pull out my phone or my laptop or whatever, and I go to the customer account And I look at the contacts that I've met before, right? Like I'll have their name in my CRM. There might be six names, two names, 20 names in a big customer. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I do a thing called re-remembering people, right? So I go to the first person, Bob. I'm like, who's Bob? Bob, right? Oh yeah, that's the (laughs) short guy with bald. He's bald and short, right? Sally, redhead, Jack, that's the skinny dude, whatever. And if I can't remember them, I go to LinkedIn and look at their face so I can remember them. Because- if you've ever been somewhere and you know you know people and they say your name, like, oh hi, Lauren, and then you say, Oh, hi, and then there's this huge pregnant pause. And <laughs> they know you forgot you forgot their name. Hey, you <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you, right? And uh and you're praying like, please help me out here, right? And like I say, your memory is good, but it's very deep and it's very slow access time, right? Yes. And then, of course, <laughs> 20 minutes later, you go, oh, right, that's Sally. It's way too late at that point, right? Yes, and so, very much so. So remember, you ask them for the mini tour. You're walking through the building. Who are you going to walk by? You're going to walk by Bob and Sally and Jack. And you say, hey, Jack, hey, Bob, hey, Sally. And this person who's heading to take you on the mini tour is saying, wow, this guy knows everybody. And that note, remembering people's names in an environment like that at work, where the people are very pleased by that, right? Mm-hmm. That you remember their name. Like, it's kind of a subconscious kind of a thing. Yeah. But it's like, wow, I didn't... It takes them a while. Oh, yeah, that's Glenn. I bought that thing from two years ago. And you remember my name? Wow, that's impressive. And, and so those are some part of the rapport building, right? And the part about how do you uh, be a pleasure to do business with, so... I started two businesses and ran them both for 15 years. And I had a business partner in my latest one, and I had two partners in the other one. And I mean, the two businesses kind of ran similarly, but different. And there were some things over time as the departments grew and you know our roles changed or whatever, where there were a lot of changes I want to make, but it was getting to be a big company. and I really didn't like the way some of our approaches to customer service were and what have you. And I vowed when I started this new company that I was going to create a business where we were truly a pleasure to do business with from the ground up. I was going to build the company in that way. When they call, I was going to answer the phone, no voicemail. We do actually finally, after all these years have an auto attendant, because there's like 70 people now. But if you go on an auto attendant, you go zero, 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 it comes straight to me. And if it rings my phone, I'm not at my desk, it rings my cell phone. And I'm like, hi, can I help you? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm trying to get a hold of so and so or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, I'm the owner. Well, I used to be the owner now, but now I'm just the vice president. But whatever. I say, you know, you've got the boss. What do you need? I'll help you. And so that's part of being a pleasure to do business with. And it's just something that you build into the culture of the business. Whereas we have competitors, and they are have a good amount of business, and they have their strengths. I don't know exactly what they are, but one of them I know is not being a pleasure. You know what I mean? Because the customers tell you that it's always a pleasure to do business with you. And when we can't honor you with the business, we always feel bad because we would prefer to buy everything from you. But of course you can't, it doesn't work that way. And in a high tech, sometimes they have to buy other products from other people. But if you can leave them wanting to do business with you on a repetitive basis, then you know you've built some good rapport, right? And that's just a commitment to being a pleasure to do business with.
1: I think that's, Really, really interesting about all the insights you shared is that actually a lot of the concepts that we talk about on the show is very much towards like the digital marketing strategies and the retention strategies and all these things to do. Because obviously, a lot of our listeners are Shopify business owners, people who are running e commerce or digital businesses. But we should never forget that there are tried and true practices that work really well, both whether it's face to face or virtually. Obviously, some businesses are entirely remote or some businesses are entirely in person. But I really like their very simple and powerful ways to do things where it's genuinely just caring about the person yeah. and going about it that you're providing that awesome experience. And I think it's a really nice reminder as part of all these different topics that we bring onto the show. So I think you really hit the nail on the head with just bringing unique insights, unique examples, unique stories. So thank yeah. you so much for providing all those insights. And welcome, I think that'll bring us to a close for this episode this time. But before I do let you go, we always have a lightning round. Okay. And so what we do on the lightning round is three really quick questions. Okay. And so think of the first thing that comes to mind, and then we end on a piece of advice, and then we're on our way. Awesome. All right. So first lightning round question. What do you think is more important, sales or marketing?
0: My rule with sales and marketing is don't confuse sales and marketing. Marketing is everything that leads up to having your person in front of, or in some way, closing business with a customer. Sell that's selling is me in front of the customer, getting the business. Everything else is marketing. Don't confuse one with the other. Meaning if you're a salesman, your jobs to close deals, then you focus on closing deals and let the marketing rep get you the leads. Don't be like, Oh, I spend the first two hours playing around on LinkedIn doing that. No, that's marketing. That's not selling. Now, If your job is sales and marketing, then maybe you don't have a lead gen department, but make sure if you're running a team that you know the difference between the two, because a lot of salespeople, like I like to joke here, in our sales department is the only room in the building where the nails in the chair are pointing upwards. So that when they (laughs) sit down, the chairs are very uncomfortable, right? Because we need them in front of the customers or on the phone, right? Not everything's done face to face. But the marketing guys, there have a different job. And I always try to make sure that people are not confusing. Oh, I like to spend two, three days, you know, two and a half days in the, you know, doing prospecting and things like that. That I think is better done by the marketing team, generating those leads and having the real salespeople that enjoy that piece of it be in front of the customers closing the deals they're both important if you don't have leads for the sales because they have nothing to close and if the salesmen are not closing the deals the marketing people won't have a job so they're kind of equally important and uh, that's
1: my sales and marketing answer (laughs) nice okay second question if you could pitch your customer experience strategies to any company which one would it be and why
0: Well, I mean, there's so many ways my mind is going, but I mean, I'm a total geek over like music equipment, professional audio equipment and things like that. I have a sound recording studio at home and I'm a bedroom DJ and whatever. And I mean, I probably pick someone like Pioneer DJ or Denon DJ or somewhere like that where I'm so geeked out on the equipment that it's like I would love to go in there and be able to just be immersed in their products and then share the way I do it and share those products with customers. And that would be a truly a passion for me. I also love cars like Mercedes and stuff, but that's kind of a different <laughs> thing. And I mean, I don't think I want to be selling cars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Last but not least in the lightning round, yeah, if you had to sell a holiday destination to our listeners, which location would it be? Greece. Oh, simple. You just had no hesitation. Yeah. there. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, because Greece, because it's an endless destination, right? I mean, you could start in Athens for a couple of days, then you do Santorini and Mykonos, and you never do more than two islands that maybe at a unless they're a cluster, right? You never do more than two islands per trip. But if you went every summer for two to three weeks, you would never visit all of the spots in Greece. That's and awesome. each one is like an individual paradise with its own sort of unique microculture. And of course the scenery is epic and Yeah, that would be my answer. (laughs) Grease.
1: Great, great answer. So final thing is just the piece of advice. We always like to end it on a nice note of bringing some advice to all of our listeners on top of all of the golden nuggets of information you shared today. But the last question is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you?
0: Yeah. So I shared it in my book and I'll share it now. And that advice is, and it doesn't matter if you're face-to-face or virtual customer e-commerce, this advice holds true for every person and every walk of life, business, professional, whatever, personal. And that is you only get forever to make another impression. Wow. So what that means is, and I tell the story in the book, when the boss comes in the office and he walks by your desk and he sees you sort of on Facebook. And then as he walks by, you catch him and you've alt tab over to Salesforce, the CRM. He notices that, right? And then a week later, he walks by your desk and he sees you alt tab from Facebook over to the CRM. And guess what? You're (laughs) now a bum, right? You're officially a (laughs) bum. And so our moms always told us, you know, you only get one chance at a first impression, right? And I totally agree with that. But what I say is every impression is like a first impression. And whether you like it or not, you're making an impression, so you better make it a good one, right? So when you're at work and when you see important people around, ask them questions, engage with them, right? Stop them. Hey, I know you're you're busy, but I'm working on this huge deal. Can I get a piece of advice from you? And just do whatever you can to stand out as being the most star player, because that's how star players get rewarded, right? Because they Absolutely. act like star players. So that's my advice. Always be looking at the next impression you're making with people, friends, family, everyone. I love that. Yeah. That's
1: awesome. Well, with that, we will end the episode. Thank you so much for joining me yeah, on today's thanks, episode. Lauren. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. And I know all the listeners will be very excited and they will not be sitting in the lobby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks,
0: Lauren. Thank you.
1: Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Game Ball. If you want to turn casual buyers into loyal lifetime customers, make sure to check out the episode description to book a demo with Gameball today. Also, make sure to subscribe to retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.